0: Greetings Spider-Man, I've been looking forward to our first meeting, which will also be your last meeting with anybody. This is me and my friend Pete, the podcast that explores all things THE Amazing Spider-Man. I'm your host, Gerald. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If it isn't, welcome, 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 welcome back. This week, we're running through THE Amazing Spider-Man number 15, Kraven the Hunter. If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe, and review as your opinions, both good and bad. Matter not only to me, but the curious folks outside of our listening community who may be swayed by your opinions to join in. Our sign-ups on Patreon have hit kind of a lull, so if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider going to patreoncom hspp and signing up to the Keykeeper or High Council tiers today. Your support would be greatly appreciated. This podcast is completely patron-supported. And I cannot do it without you. So please consider going to Patreon.com slash HSPP and signing up to the Keykeeper or High Council tiers today. Shout out to the right minders, the big three, the Key Keepers and the High Council. To you, I say I see you and I thank you for your support. And to you all, I say what happens when the world's greatest hunter and its top master of disguise team up to take down the spider? You don't know? Well, we're about to find out. We've got chameleon concocting schemes culminating in Central Park. We've got the sake-sipping stalker setting his sights on the spider. We've got Betty being petty and Liz Allen being a friend. And we've got the goldenrod kid trying to juggle it all. And we've got me. We've got you. We've got no further ado. We've got the amazing Spider-Man. What's that? A dime and a nickel? That's number 15. Craven the Hunter. Me and my best friend Pete. Old adventures, new critiques, he spins webs, I spin yarns, kinda kooky, be forewarned, look out, it's me and my friend P. The credits on this one, the boys in the bullpen are clever as always, this is written by Stan Lee because they couldn't afford Mickey Spillane, illustrated by Steve Ditko because Picasso was out of town and lettered by Art Mech, because his name fit into space. I just want to point out that Picasso is my favorite artist of all time and one of my favorite Picasso quotes before I descend into full-on gushing. When I was a child, my mother said to me, if you become a soldier, you'll be a general. If you become a monk, you'll be the Pope. Instead, I became a painter and wound up as Picasso. What more needs to be said? back to the cover on this one is another beauty we're like 16 beauties in a row we get the amazing spider-man in goldenrod yellow with spidey costume red beneath spider-man giving strong 90s animated series vibes and that's good because spidey is dealing with one of two villains who i actually like more in the animated series than i do in the comics beneath a midnight blue sky in the dead of night we get a cover alive with action the new york skyline is in the background light glowing from the buildings of people burning the midnight oil In front of the buildings, we have whited out bushes so we can focus on the action in the foreground. The action? Spidey is in the foreground, suited and booted, facing us almost straight on stage right. He's low to the earth, almost crouched even. He's got his right hand raised high and his left out next to his left knee, and he is struggling to free himself from a thick black trap net. All of his muscles are flexing, so we know he's struggling, and he's standing on a concrete path, making me think Spidey's in my favorite place on earth, Central Park. Above Spidey's head, we get a green arrow caption box. So you think there are no new types of supervillains left for old Spidey to battle, eh? Well, you've got a surprise coming. Here's one of the newest and greatest of all. And in a white screen box above the new villain to kick down the door of Spidey's rogues gallery, we get the villain's name, Craven, the Hunter. And if this man ain't hunting, sprinting from the bushes, I imagine he's left the branch of the tree behind him and he's racing towards Spider-Man with both hands raised. Craven's a Russian with a perpetual tan, 6 feet even, 235 pounds, he's a big boy. He's got shiny black hair slicked back from the finest hair mousse out of Russia. So of course, that's Natura Sibirica. He's got high cheekbones and thick eyebrows to go along with his bushy mustache and soul patch. On his bare chest, he's wearing a green vest decorated with a lion's head and mane. The lion's head extends from his neck down to his stomach and is split in half symmetrically so that the big cat's large face is divided by Craven's bare chest. The lion's mane is sitting on Craven's shoulders so that he looks like the wild hair is growing out of his neck. It's a beautiful, beautiful character design. On each wrist he has orange wraps with black stripes making me think he's killed a tiger for them and green armbands on both biceps. A brown tiger striped belt is wrapping his waist lined with boar tusk, and orange leopard skin pants covering his muscular legs. Craven's got a pair of thunder thighs on him if anyone cares. Why would anyone... I said if. On his feet to ensure he's dancing with lions and whatever other wild animal he has to tangle with are a pair of tan ballet point shoes. John J. Dunbar, eat your heart out. As if Craven wasn't enough for the old web head to handle, we get a green caption box arrow beneath the golden liability's feet, pointing stage left. Special guest star reintroducing one of the first foes Spider-Man ever fought. And we see in profile, the man in the white silk mask in a green pit box, his collar popped, a small smile creeping through the mask, staring at us, none other than the chameleon himself. Let's get into it. We get the sign of the spider with Spider-Man along the top of its border as usual. Next to the title of this one, taking up two lines in large ticker tape corner letters. So the points on every letter looks like torn paper and it says, Craven, the hunter. This splash page has Spidey suited and booted outside of a goldenrod window, a little off center stage right. He's holding a web line with his right hand and has his left dangling as he stares through the blinds at four men. We've got green newsy cap, brown jacket, tan pants. We've got a guy in a green suit and brown shoes whose face is covered by the window blinds. We've got a man in a brown fedora and JJP suit. He's wearing striped socks. He's crushing it and a man in a lavender suit pointing out of the window at Spidey. To our left of Spidey is a pink arrow caption box. For any of you who may have been living in another galaxy for the past two years, we'll explain that this is Spider-Man, and this is certainly the most exciting Spidey adventure we've ever presented since the last one. It's got villains, heroes, action, a mishmash of everything, and it's told in a Marvel manner. Nuff said. And Spidey, as usual, is quipping He tells the gang that they may not have heard, but there are laws against organizing bank robberies in New York. Lavender suit, his face hidden in the blind, screams that they're trapped, and Spidey must have followed them and been listening to their plans. I think he's right. The game's afoot. We turn the page. Page two opens to all four men breaking for exits. Green Newsy Cap takes the lead, JJP and Lavender behind him screaming, let's get out of here. But when he pulls the door to the room open, he runs smack dab into Spidey webbing. And the webbing keeps on flying as Spidey webs up JJP and Lavender's legs through the window. Spidey tells them that if they all fall in line, he'll remove his webbing and march them down to the precinct before thinking, that's funny, I could have sworn there were four of them. As Green Suit having broken away from the group as soon as Spidey started quipping, leaps out a side window thinking if he can land on the blue awning beneath him, he'll escape. He leapt from the second story window without hesitation. This man is not going to be caught. He hits the awning and rolls off between panels, hitting the ground in the next. He releases a special chemical that covers his green suit and red tie in a pink cloud of smoke. When the smoke clears, his green suit and red tie have changed into a brown suit and sky blue tie, like he's a Hot Wheels car being run under hot water. He pulls a spare green fedora from who knows where and a collapsible cane from his inner breast pocket thinking they'll be the final touches. He adopts an affected limp and begins hobbling up the street thinking, Now I can calmly walk right back past him, he will never suspect that I'm his old enemy, the Chameleon. The return of the Chameleon, the first supervillain Spidey ever faced way back in ASM number one You know we have that story here. That's our second episode, J.J.'s Beef, where Spidey faces off against J.J.'s propaganda and the Fantastic Four as well. And Spidey, clinging to the sheer wall, knows he's not crazy. He thinks, there are four of them. I'm sure of it. But it looks as though the leader got away. There's no one below me except that old man with a cane. And the chameleon escapes right under his nose. A short time later, behind the bolted door of his apartment, the elusive Chameleon removes one of his many ingenious masks. Chameleon standing in front of his vanity dresser, different masks hanging from the walls and taped to bust in front of him, says that Spidey's more dangerous than he's ever been and that as long as he lives, Chameleon is in danger. In the final panel, Chameleon now back in his white mask, fiddling the face he just wore in his hands, says he still remembers when he faced Spidey two years ago when Spidey was just beginning. He says he couldn't beat Spidey then, and now he's become much more skilled. While he's monologuing, we get a great thought bubble of Chameleon in the yellow helicopter he used to attempt his getaway as Spidey rips the doors off the whirly bird. But Chameleon's too blessed to be stressed. He changes out of his costume and into J.J.P. pants with matching ascot, slides on a yellow silk robe with cross-stitched hemming, throws his house loafers on and pouring himself a drink. He lights a cigarette, taking a seat in a plush red armchair to open page three. Lounging, he continues his monologue. After I was arrested as a spy and deported, I lived in exile all this time, but now that I've returned to resume my crime career, I find Spider-Man still threatens me. He must be disposed of, but by whom? Camellia needs a sucker for the job. In the next panel, a close-up on him in profile, smoke from the red tip of his cigarette wafting towards the ceiling, skin mask hanging on the walls behind him. He smiles and says he's wrong, that he knows a guy who relished the task, the world's greatest stalker, Craven the Hunter. He will be Chameleon's cat's paw. A week later, at the editorial offices of the Daily Bugle, publisher J. Jonah Jameson storms through his doorway, and away we go. JJ in his JJP suit, brown shoes and green fedora, cigar in hand, as usual, has just pushed through his office door. Busy man that he is, He's West Wingin', that's the walk and talk, and he tells Betty Brant to grab her steno book because they're going to the pier to get the biggest story of the year. Craven the Hunter is coming to America, and J.J. wants to be there first. As Betty, the damsel, never in distress in a white blouse and red skirt, rushes to throw on her matching blazer and hat, J.J. yells for her to call Peter Parker and tell him to meet them there with his camera. Betty says okay, but ask who Craven is. Jameson doesn't answer her until they're at the pier. Rude. He says, Craven is a living legend, the greatest hunter of all time. He's trapped and defeated every type of beast that lives and always single-handed. But Betty's not paying attention. The Golden Rock Kid has just walked up in his SJB suit and red tie. He says, Hi, Betty. I got your message. So here I am. With a small smile walking towards Betty, who turns. She starts to say she's so happy to see him, but the smile on her face vanishes when she spots none other then Liz Allen over his shoulder. The blonde Pete's been walking home from school. Liz is in a tan turtleneck and brown skirt and accompanied as she often is by the brand X kid himself. Flash, fashion on, eh, he's styling Thompson, who's wearing a green sweater and lavender pants. But Liz hasn't come with Pete. She spots him and waving a hand in his direction, says Pete must've come to see Craven as well. Flash, salty as ever, says, well, happy day he don't seem too happy about it. In the next panel, Liz walks up to Pete and placing both hands on his chest, disregarding all boundaries, ignoring Pete's actual girlfriend, says this is thrilling that Craven the Hunter has never been in New York before. And Pete knows he's just stepped in it, a look on his face that reads, I thought everybody was drinking the juice. He agrees that it is thrilling and looking over his shoulder at his girl Friday, asks Liz if she's met Betty Brant. Betty, her arms folded, refusing to turn around to face Liz, icicles dripping from her words, says she hasn't had the pleasure. Translation, if you don't get your hands off my man's collar, mine may just end up on your throat. Jameson, only interested in Pete's love life drama when there isn't money to be made, snaps. Swinging his head around, he screams, Parker, this isn't the meaning of the Lonely Heart Club. You're here to take pictures of Craven. Look alive, he's coming. I imagine Craven steps onto the deck of the ship, the sea breeze ruffling the lion's mane on his shoulders. And in the final panel, he steps off the boat ramp striding forward with confidence and poise as people scream about him off panel. There he is! Isn't he handsome? So big, so powerful, so rugged looking. They say he can defeat anything that lives with his bare hands. On page four in a goldenrod negative space, JJ, we all know what type of man he is, gets right down to business. He's a busy, busy man. He walks up behind Craven, his left hand raised, and after introducing himself, says he wants an interview and he's willing to pay. But before he can name his price, probably a rip-off price to be sure, craven cuts him off without bothering to break his stride, saying, Not interested. I'm a hunter. I came here to hunt the most dangerous game of all. The Golden Liability, the most dangerous game of all. Suddenly, a fearful cry rings out. And we see three large iron cages fall onto the dock. The gates burst open on impact on one and the large brown gorilla shambles out of his prison. A guy wearing an SJB pork pie hat, green hoodie, and SJB pants, breaks stage right screaming. The loading crate snapped. The cages fell. Run, run. While another stage right in a red T-shirt and gray pants leaps a wooden crate to get out of the way, adding, The beast of loose! run for your lives. It is chaos. And in all the confusion, Pete's already dashed off and hiding behind a pile of crates. He gets suited, he gets booted, reappearing on scene as the world's greatest, Leap. Amazing Spider-Man. He hopes he can round all the animals up in time before leaping into the next panel and onto a sheer wall, screaming it's a good thing he was here to help. But Spidey's help isn't needed. Before Spidey can reach the spot, his incredulous eyes witness the greatest hunter of all time as he leaps into action. Craven the Hunter has already made his move, putting himself between the people and the danger. He grabs a green cobra with his right hand and tosses it over his shoulder, no look, towards a yellow barrel, its lid being held open by a guy in a purple button-up with his sleeves rolled up. With his right hand, Craven reaches down and grabs a cape cobra, brown cobra, by the neck beneath its fangs, as the guy in purple screams for Craven to hurry because the gorillas are running wild. In the final panel, Craven rushes two gorillas, clocking the one in front of him with a right while staying low to avoid the gorilla behind him with its arms raised. He says this is no problem that he beats these gorillas in the jungle and that all one needs to do is hit them in the right nerve center. Oh, that's all. On page five, he keeps the action rolling in a golden rod negative space as we stare at him from the vantage point of the gorilla's hairy arms reaching for him. Craven screams, Can't get close enough to the other one to throw my knockout punch. I'll have to resort to something else. I'll use the tranquilizing drug which I keep in one of my belt tusks to quiet him down. Then he'll be easy to handle. And for the first time, we get a crowd reaction shot with the Golden Liability as part of the crowd. Flash, always down for the action, is smiling with all 32 teeth and wringing his fist. Liz has both hands to her face. Betty behind her does too. Jameson is staring in wide-eyed astonishment, his cigar trapped in his mouth. And above them all, the Golden Liability is watching too, in amazement. Holy smoke, that guy Craven is a regular one-man army. No wonder he's so doggone famous. The way he's handling those beasts, I'm about as necessary as a bouncer at the policeman's ball. And bouncers aren't necessary at the policeman's ball, and police aren't necessary, period. Abolish him. Craven lifts the gorilla over his head effortlessly as Spidey continues his thought. Wow. Besides everything else, he's a mass of muscles. Look at the way he's lifting that gorilla. He must have played marbles with barbells when he was a kid. Realizing he isn't needed, Spidey drops back down behind the boxes and changes back into his golden rock kid outfit his red tie swinging out behind him. He says he better get back with the crowd before J.J. has a conniption fit. And rejoins the group just in time to run into a beaming J.J. Looking over his shoulder, the miserable magnate says it was their lucky day that he's going to plaster Parker's pictures of Craven's fight all over the front page. And still smiling, says let's go get the film developed right now. Busy man that, J.J. If you're running around with him on the dock, you may not be busy enough. It's time to get back to work. But Pete, a look of horror on his face, says in all the excitement, he forgot to take the photos. And J.J. snaps his back to us, his hands over his face and head thrown back. He screams, you didn't snap them. Tell me I'm hearing things. Tell me it's all a bad dream. Tell me it never happened. Pete's already in hot water, but it's about to boil as Liz, seeing his tie hanging outside of his goldenrod vest. His vest? He wasn't wearing a- His comic books. Let it go. Liz says, your tie is crooked, Pete. Let me fix it for you. And Betty isn't happy at all. Her jelly sense ablaze, her arms folded, her words in a stalactite caption box. She mocks Liz saying, yes, Petey, let her fix it for you. Pete thinks this isn't his day, while Flash says, Liz, if you want Parker to get a fat lip, just keep that up. Drama! Flash has to know by now that whenever Liz pulls up with him, it's only because Pete isn't around. The turntables, baby, those turntables. This is one of the reasons I love doing these stories. I had no idea Liz ever felt this way about the golden liability, and the drama it leads to is just, you can say it, amazing. The gorillas back in their cages with Craven, inspecting them to make sure they're okay. Page six opens with Jameson approaching the hunter. Pete trailing behind him, trying to apologize for not getting the photos. But Jameson ain't accepting apologies right now. He shoes Pete with the hand and calls him useless like it's his name, and tells him he'll have a talk with him later before shifting his attention back to Kraven. He asks what Kraven come to hunt because there aren't any wild beasts running around in New York. And Craven replies, You're wrong. There is one who seems to be more beast than human. He will be my greatest conquest. The camera pulls in tight in the next panel as he continues. The most dangerous game in the world is man, and I shall hunt the most dangerous man of all, the one who calls himself Spider-Man. His words set off Pete's Spidey-sense and we get the return of the half-man, half-amazing Pete Rock as he thinks this day is just bad all around and he should have stayed in bed. Jameson, for the first time to my knowledge, actually puts some respect on Spidey's name. He says the idea is intriguing, but there are laws in this country against tracking down humans with a scowl on his face. Craven, Mm -hmm. wearing a small sinister smile, replies, We shall see about that, Mr. Jameson. We shall see. He's going to hunt the crap out of Spider-Man. And Pete, standing behind him, has listened to all this. He's ice-grilling the back of Craven's head with a fist raised like I could crack this madman's skull open right now. Instead, thinker that he is, he wonders what Craven's real reason is for wanting to hunt him and thinks he knows there's more to it than what Craven's been saying. Jameson, hearing all he needs to, makes to leave stage right in the next panel and shouts at Betty to join him because they're not on an outing. Pete steps in front of Betty saying, Betty, I'd like to explain about Liz but Betty brushes him aside with her right arm. Her eyes closed, head towards the sky. The damsel never in distress in the fire red dress replies. There's no need to explain, Petey. Everything is quite clear, Petey. And she's not the only one upset. Behind Pete and Betty, Flash is jerking his thumb at himself with his back to us while Liz smirks at him. Flash says, for crying out loud, Liz, how can you waste time on Puny Parker when I'm around? Like I'm the Brandex kid, you don't see me, girl? You don't see these lavender pants? Stop playing with me. And Liz? Calling him a muscle-bound goon replies that he wouldn't understand if she told him. Can I? Please, you can't dress. Get him, you're a bully. Get him, you're a dumbhead. Get him, Petey watched you. Get him, you lied about fighting the Laverian lion. Get him, you don't respect her. Got him, good, back two. Finally, after the crowd has thinned out and things return to normal. Pete is sitting on a curb in front of a hydrant with his right hand pressed against his cheek, his shoulders hunched. And he's thinking that when he was just a young pup, He'd read comics and imagine how great life would be if he became a superhero. He thinks it's great for everyone except Spider-Man, finishing with an emphatic, Aw, oh, I'm nuts. That's what he thinks! Nuts! But Pete's gonna have to get up. A street sweeper in a green janitor's outfit, shout out to the janitors, with matching cap and white gloves, comes up behind him, straight disrespecting the Golden Rock Kid, pushing dirt and dust towards him with his broom saying, Move it, bub. You're blocking progress. Wolverine out here street sweeping in 1964. And in a final panel, we're back in Chameleon's fancy hideout with the mass line walls as Chameleon, in his loungewear of purple and gold, a white folder in his hand labeled Spider-Man, says he's been busy. In this folder are newspaper reports, magazine articles, and first-hand interviews with people who've seen Spidey. And don't let Craven's feral appearance fool you. The man clearly shares Chameleon's lavish taste. Pouring steaming sake from a yellow gourd, he replies, Good. I want to know everything about my quarry. It will make the hunt that much more interesting. Now, it's Craven lounging in the armchair to open page 7 as he sits through the docket on Spidey. But the chameleon hasn't forgotten the way Spidey pursued him like a man possessed in ASM number 1. He leans in towards Craven with a clenched fist, telling him that Spidey's no simple jungle beast. But Craven's never scared. He crosses his legs, sips his sake, and replies And you remember, my friend, that I am no ordinary hunter. I possess undreamed of strength and speed, which I obtained by drinking a secret potion stolen from the witch doctor of a hidden African tribe. With but one punch, I can stop the charge of a bull elephant. You know I looked it up. Craven's done most of his hunting on the mother continent of Africa in the savannah, judging by the cowardly lion draping his shoulders. The average weight of a male savannah bull elephant, according to elephant-world.com, is six tons. That's 13,000 pounds. The average running speed of an elephant is 15 miles per hour. Spidey can take a punch. He did just survive a love tap by the Incredible Hulk. But you take Craven's power and mix it with his speed, and we gotta know Spidey's in for some chop. And speaking of Spidey, we find him suited and booted, clinging to a sheer green wall high above the city in the next panel. He's thinking he's gotta take some amazing photos to get back on JJ's good side when... (laughs) A shot! And away we go! Spidey web swings onto the scene in the next panel. The scene. A rooftop where the Berber gang have just tied up a watchman. Spidey thinks the guard was the one who fired the warning shot. We've got a guy in a green jumpsuit, two guys in tan suits, one in olive. That's Badger for sure. One JJP, that's Sneaky Pete. And a guy wearing a green jacket and SJB colored pants. That's Jesse Pink because Jesse don't wear suits. Error be damned. Spidey screams for the gang to hold it because their friendly neighborhood Spider-Man would like a word as he lets go off his web line before dropping down onto the rooftop with the hands team. Badger screams that one guy can't stop them all. Spidey says, correction, he's only one Spider-Man. As Sneaky Pete screams out, Rocky nails, Pee-wee. Don't just stand there, rush him. If we all tackle him, we'll un. Before Spidey clocks them both. The next panel, Spidey, A-O-B-E. You know what it means, think about it. There's a modified one arm planche, his feet off the ground, his body straighter than any arrow, and he's ducking beneath a swinging badger at the same time. He punches badger in the elbow, causing badger to clock nails. That's Green Jumpsuit, to be sure. In the shoulder, who screams, Watch who you're swinging at, you know, That's what he says! You nut! As Sneaky Pete and Rocky rush forward. In all this mayhem, Spidey screams, Nice try, fellas. Too bad your skill doesn't match your enthusiasm. As the fight progresses, a silent, leering figure watches it from a short distance away. We have a beautiful panel of Craven on one knee, his left hand pressed against the ledge of the rooftop he's watching Spidey from, his right hand resting on his chin, bathed in the full moonlight as he thinks... It was very clever of the chameleon to order those unsuspecting fools to attempt a midnight burglary. I always study my prey in action before I begin the hunt. The game is about to be afoot. Chameleon, really wants Spider-Man gone. Imagine all the planning this has taken. C.K. Connors, take note. You gotta let that go. He monologued for a whole page with no serum. Hot Rod. Okay. Back to, we turn the page and we're on the Infinity, Infinity page. page. Page 8. Just in time to witness Craven put his right hand to his mouth and think he doesn't have anything to worry about, but not because he doesn't think Spidey isn't dangerous. Quite the opposite. He's not worried because Spidey has speed, skill, and daring, so he'd be a worthy foe. Craven was scared Spidey wouldn't give him a challenge. Craven in this moment reminds me of Tarzan in Tarzan of the Apes when he's talking to a hunter who uses rifles to kill animals from a distance. Tarzan, speaking on hunting a lion, says the only pleasure for him in hunting comes in the knowledge of his prey being able to potentially harm him just as much as he can harm his prey, before stripping naked and armed with only a piece of rope, heading into the jungle to prove his point to hunters who go out armed to the teeth in large parties. All that said, remember that Tarzan is a racist story that only shows my people in the most negative light since it jumped out of the head of Edgar Rice burrows in the early 20th century. The only palatable iteration, in my opinion, is the Disney movie of the same name. And they dealt with the racism by just removing all the black people from Africa. So all around fail, back to. The camera shows back to the action as Craven thinks that now he gets a chance to see how Spidey reacts in emergencies as the Burber gang surround our hero, cornering him at the roof entrance. But you know if Spidey's cornered, Spidey's gonna leap. And he does. <laughs> Placing his palms flat against the wall above his head, he backflips up onto the sheer wall. Standing on his feet now, he throws a left hook that sends Badger tumbling backwards. Pee-wee asks, how does he do it? Amazed as people usually are when seeing Spidey stick to walls. Spidey backflips from the wall and onto the roof before leaping off of it into the crowd of Burbas who are all scrambling towards the door. I assume Rocky and Jesse Pink escape because they're nowhere to be found, but the rest of the Burba gang, S-O-L. Spidey throws a backhand with his right dropping Badger and a rainbow hook left dropping the rest, screaming. Okay kiddies, you must all be getting tired after such a strenuous playtime, so you better take a little nap until the police get here. Before webbing them all up and leaping from the roof, he web swings around the corner of the building thinking he's glad something he did finally turned out right today because he was getting to feel like a walking jinx. The golden liability spider sense goes off to open page nine and spotting the cat's paw on a roof nearby, Spidey lands on the edge of the ledge, both arms above head shouting, "Craven!" at the man who wants him dead. It. Craven, looking over his shoulder, a small smile on his lips, making time for the niceties as one should, replies, Greetings, Spider Man. I've been looking forward to our first meeting, which shall also be your last meeting with anybody. Before lunging at Spider Man, screaming that it isn't often that his jungle foes know his name. Because, you know, animals don't care about spider Spidey, leaping to avoid the hunter, asks why <gasps> Craven is anti Spider Man. But Craven's got some reflexes because before Spider can clear the slick haired villain, Craven grabs him by the right ankle. Gripping Spider-Man above his head, he says, I am a hunter. Hunting is my entire life. But there are no more goals for me to strive for until I learn the view. You shall be my greatest triumph. And what I have to assume is one breath before slamming Spidey onto his back on the edge of the ledge in the next panel. And I thought I was a motor mouth. Spidey fully splayed out thinks, Boy, now I'm in for him. He's the worst kind of enemy. A nut who fights you, you just say? for the sheer fun of it. A And Craven says that this is what he was afraid of. Spidey not being able to really go toe to toe with him. Spidey's back on his feet in no time, but it doesn't matter. Craven's speed is almost as dazzling as Fancy Dan's and he's on the web head before Spidey has any real time to set his feet. The hunter throws his smashing nerve punch, a move he says can down a full-grown charging rhino, screaming that it will end Spidey's career forever. The average rhino has skin 1.5 to 5 centimeters thick, so this has to be some punch to push through that armor. Spidey, still reeling, barely manages to avoid the attack hitting him in the face and takes the brunt of the uppercut blow with his left shoulder. His arm immediately falls limp at his side. But what Spidey got, grit? You said it, and in the final panel, thinking he can't let Craven get a second chance at an attack, he throws an uppercut of his own, catching the Bloating Hunter off guard, giving himself a moment to recuperate. Craven, his eyes wide and surprised to open page 10, leans back to avoid the one-armed Spidey, thinking the young savant is stronger than he thought and he won't be able to beat him fairly. But villains never have to fight fair. Pulling one of the boar tusks from his belt, Craven tackles Spidey, dodging another KO uppercut, and manages to scratch Spidey with the boar tusk. Spidey screams that Craven's going to have to do better than that to beat him. But Spidey's spoken too soon. We get a close-up on Spidey's face; his mirrored lenses squinting, his right hand in front of his nose, as spots dance around his eyes as he thinks, "I, I feel kind of woozy. That was more than a simple scratch. He got some sort of potion in my bloodstream. But what was it?" Then, as Spider-Man releases his savage foe for an instant, Kraven races away with a triumphant cry ringing from his sneering lips. The cat's paw doesn't even wanna finish Spidey off right now. He leaps from the rooftop screaming that his potion is gonna make Spidey so weak, he'll be able to finish him off anytime he wants. While Spidey, his head spinning, leaps up and onto a nearby building thinking he'll let Kraven go now so he can clear his head. But his head isn't clearing. He's getting dizzier by the minute. And after grabbing his camera he's left webbed on a nearby rooftop to snap some photos he struggles towards home reaching his bedroom Pete pulls his mask from his face saying his shoulder is getting back to normal but he can't shake the dizziness from the boar tusk poison a dizziness that only gets worse he sits down on the edge of his bed staring at his hands spots still dancing in front of his eyes saying and now my hands have started to twitch i can't make them stop no wonder craven is such a successful hunter if he uses potions such as those well Maybe I'll be okay again in the morning after a good night's sleep. I've got a hunch I'm gonna need all the strength and powers I've got. And in another part of town, Craven is definitely a Saki man. Sitting on the dresser back in Chameleon's ritzy hideout, his right leg up on the dresser, his left leg dangling, he holds the Saki gourd in his left hand in a cup of sake, and a couple steaming Saki in his right, a triumphant smile on his lips. As Chameleon, worry showing even through his white mask, Ditko, working, says, I don't get it, Craven. You say he's far stronger, far more dangerous than you thought, and yet you're happy about it. A broad smile on his face, Craven replies, Of course I am. He's the kind of foe I've always wanted. Want to test my mettle to its fullest. What a triumph this will be for me. How sweet will be the fruits of my victory. Page 11 opens to Craven saying they have to press their advantage and plan their next attack. He says his blood is boiling, boiling from anticipation. While Chameleon, again the subtle line work doing all the heavy lifting in his mask, Looks at Craven with surprise, saying he chose well. The cat's paw is merciless. The next morning. Pete backflips out of his bed as he usually does in his red silk pajamas to check if he's recovered. And he has. His agility is still on top of the list, but when he goes to the bathroom to wash his face, he realizes his hands are still shaking violently. Wondering how long it'll last, he gets dressed in his standard Goldenrod rod kit outfit, minus the blazer, and heads downstairs. Mays at the front door talking with a neighbor of theirs. The neighbor's wearing a red blouse and SJB-colored skirt. May's in a green dress today with yellow frills around the collar and her white apron. Pete, holding his right wrist, thinks he better scarf down his breakfast and head off to school before May notices his hands. If May sees those shaking hands, Pete's gonna be in the ICU ward for the next 20 years. But Pete barely gets his drink down before May enters the kitchen. And she says, Good morning, Peter, dear. I've got some good news for you. I've arranged a date for you with a lovely girl. As Pete fights to keep his hand holding his drink steady, I love that she calls him Peter dear every time she speaks to him in these early issues. It's great. Pete puts the glass down and hides his hands behind his back in the next panel thinking, A blind date? Oh, brother. That's all I need. Aunt May continues. She's a niece of our neighbor, Mrs. Watson, and she'd just love to meet you, Peter. Wait, did she say? She did. Are we? Maybe. Let's keep going. Pete tries to say he appreciates the offer, but May's not having any nose. In a red negative space, her face long in profile, a wrinkled finger pointing at her nephew off panel, she puts her foot down. No buts about it, Peter Parker. It's time you began to think seriously about your future. You want a girl who make a good housewife, someone like Mrs. Watson's niece. Pete is all of 17, May. You gotta chill. But Pete's not agreeing to anything. Grabbing his blazer in the next panel, he tells Mae they'll talk about it when he gets back home. May, probably feeling a little put out by her nephew she only wants the best for, gets a little petty I think. She says she hopes Pete's wearing his winter weight suit, which is just a winter suit, a heavier suit, usually cut from wool, tweed, or flannel, because there's still a nip in the air and he's still fragile. In the final panel, Pete strolls into the Daily Bugle offices and right up to Betty who's wearing a red blouse with black and white horizontal stripes. It's a nice blouse. Betty's putting a folder into a filing cabinet. Pete thinks the shaking in his hands has mostly stopped, and wonders if Betty's still upset with him before realizing there's only one way to find out. He says, Hi, Betty. You look lovelier than ever today. Smooth with it, but not smooth enough. Betty's not over it, and on page 12, Betty gets petty. She pulls his red tie out of his blazer, pretending to fix it while singing. Why, hello, Petey Weedy. Here, let me fix your little tiesy wisey yz Peter scowls at her, reminding her that he hates to be called Petey. Betty turns away from him. She goes HTC. Of course. How bad? Pinky in her mouth bad. Sheesh. Yeah. She continues. Really, Mr. Parker, I didn't notice you telling that empty-headed blonde schoolgirl not to call you, Petey. She called Liz empty-headed. And I don't think she's wrong. And Pete, sharp as a tack, says the right thing. Of course I didn't tell her. What do I care what she calls me? She doesn't mean anything to me. Before saying the wrong thing in the very next panel. Boy, females must have originally been intended for another planet. But the office drama will have to wait. Jameson's door opens and Craven exits his back to us as he tells Jameson that Spider-Man's days are numbered while Pete wonders what that means. JJ, his sleeves rolled up, cigar in his left hand, his right on his hip, stands in his doorframe barking. Remember, it has to be perfectly legal. Much as I hate Spider-Man, I won't stand for anything that violates the law. But Craven isn't a police officer or one of the miserable madnate's employees. He replies, Watch your tone of voice, Jameson. You're talking to Craven the Hunter. Nobody dictates to me. As Pete looks on wondering why Craven looks so confident. But to be fair, Craven's apparently a self-made man, so he's confident by design. After Craven departs, a troubled Peter Parker hands J. Jonah Jameson prints of the crime photos he had taken the day before. And then, Jameson looks through the photos in the background of the next panel, standing across from Betty, her hand halfway to her chin. Jameson says the photos aren't bad, but he doesn't care about the Berber gang. He wants photos of the Sensation of the Nation or the cat's Paul Craven. Peter replies that he'll get the photos and thinks to himself, I've gotta get photos of my next battle with Craven if I manage to live through it, heading towards the door. Betty calls to him, but Pete, lost in thought, doesn't hear her and she wonders what could be wrong. Only the world's greatest hunter hoping to skin him alive. You know, nothing major. Pete is in Midtown High in the next panel holding a test tube in science class, his thoughts still on Craven's confidence. He thinks the suspense is getting on his nerves. His hand tremors return, and he drops the vial in the next panel. It shatters on the desktop as a brown-haired boy in a red bow tie screams what's wrong with Puny Parker. What's wrong with you wearing that giant bow tie? Don't you look like a present nobody wants to open? big enough to sit in his hair. I'm realizing now that this nickname isn't one that Flash Alone calls him. In junior high school, I was small, skinny, and a pretty poor kid, and my appearance reflected that. A kid came up with a nickname for me, Feral Gerald, and boy did it stick. It doesn't bother me now, but you know how people say you'll look back someday and laugh? False. I only got over it when I realized the word's pronounced feral and doesn't rhyme with my name at all. Bunch of dumbheads playing at being clever. But kids will be kids, and I like to think they all know I gave as good as I got. I blame the parents, really. They could blame mine, but if you heard Bonus Episode 1, you know I at least had an excuse. Don't lament it. Fine, back to. In the final panel, a boy in shadow, probably the Johnny Carson kid from way back in Amazing Fantasy 15, that's episode one here, the origin stories, and me and my friend Pete recognizes that this isn't normal for the young savant. He says it's not like Pete to be all thumbs while Bruni in a red shirt and green skirt shouts, for goodness sake, how clumsy can you be? You're not at his desk, so you're not even his lab partner. Why are you so stressed, young lady? Thirteen opens with Pete's back to us, his hands behind his back, as Mr. Warren, in a fire tweed vest, orange tie, and lab coat, reprimands Pete, saying he's surprised that the kid of all people made a mistake and tells him to clean up the mess immediately. Pete apologizes, saying he doesn't know what got into him, as an Auburn-haired boy leans in towards Flash Thompson, who's smiling in the background next to a sandy-haired girl with his arms crossed. Auburn says Flash was right. The teacher's pet is finally cracking up, and Flash, smug as a pug eating bugs, replies, Sure, those eggheads are all the same. Sooner or later, all that studying catches up with them. As Sandy chimes in, you tell him, Flash. In the next panel, they continue. Auburn says if we ask him, Nobody asked him. He thinks Pete's been strung out since Flash told him he'd belt him if the young golden rod didn't stop trying to holla at Liz. I think Auburn was absent the day Pete knocked Flash through the ropes, and then out cold in ASM number eight. That's two infinities here on me and my friend Pete. And Pete hit Flash so hard, he has to have forgotten too. Putting a finger to his temple, he says Pete's full of gray matter, but wasn't around when they were handing out backbones. You know who was there, episode eight, front and center? And who remembers? Liz Allen. And hearing her crutch vilified, she comes to his rescue saying, Flash Thompson, you've no right to talk about Peter that way. Anybody can be a loudmouth like you. But it takes brains to be smart. While Auburn, hand to chin, says she agrees with Liz. Not all heroes wear capes. In fact, the best ones don't. After school, the kids of Midtown High are standing in a gaggle outside and Flash is still deluding himself into thinking he can handle Pete in a one-on-one. As Pete reads the paper in the foreground, Flash tells him not to strain his eyes because he wants them in good condition for when he blackens them. A Flash flunky points at Pete saying, look at him, pretending not to hear Flash. And Pete truly doesn't. He's got real problems. The headline on the paper reads The feet of Spider-Man imminent, says Craven. And Pete's sure the cat's Paul and JJ have plotted something against him. And as the evening wears on, we find Pete at home in his room in a t-shirt studying as May places a hand on his shoulder. She tells him that's enough studying for one night and tells him to get some sleep. Pete says he's just finishing up, thinking to himself, what will happen to May and how will she manage if Craven succeeds in destroying him? But No sooner does his doting aunt leave the room than the brilliant teenager gets an idea. Pete picks up one of his spider tracers and screams. I've got it. I'll find a way to put my spider tracer on Craven. Then I'll always know just where he is if he's about to attack me. How May doesn't know about Pete's double life is beyond me. The kid is constantly screaming random spider related things in his bedroom, giving the game away. When he made the web shooters, he was screaming in his bedroom. When he made the trace of the first time, he was screaming in his bedroom. Like he's not a quiet child. So how may doesn't maybe may has a, may maybe may's hard of hearing. Who knows? I'm just spitballing it. Either way, there's no rest for the weary. And in the next panel, we see Spidey suited and booted, standing on a rooftop, both hands in the internal sign of the shooters, but his hands are still shaking, and the webbing shoots from his wrists in lazy, weak lines. In the final panel, he decides he doesn't need them and leaps from the rooftop to the neighboring building screaming that it's a good thing his agility is still as good as ever. Best ever. Now, the spider hunts the cat's paw. Meanwhile, not far away. And you already know if Craven is in Chameleon's crib, he's sipping sake. And we see him pouring himself up another glass, Craven the saucy boy in the lion's mane vest. Chameleon, comfy in his gray armchair this time, puffing a cigarette with his legs crossed, Ask Kraven what makes him so sure Spider-Man will come after him. And Kraven gives a reasonable answer for a man who spends his days in the ways that he does. It's the law of the jungle, my friend. The desire to survive. He knows he must stop me in order to save himself. We get a close-up of him in the next panel. His cup to his lips as he tells Chameleon not to forget that he studied Spider-Man. He knows his nature and he controls the hunt. Spidey, still leaping building to building in the next panel, says when he gets close enough to Craven, his Spidey sense will go off, and of course, comic and cosmic timing have his Spidey sense tingle just now. He perches on a sheer wall, his Spidey sense still ringing, and spots Craven heading into Central Park. From the looks of the high wall near him, I'd say that's Mariner's Gate, so they're on 86th Street in Central Park West. Spidey thinks, there he is, but it almost seems too easy, and my spider sense feels different somehow, as though it isn't sure. I don't get it. What's happening to me? Why am I so uncertain? But he follows Craven into the park in the next panel anyway, trailing the hunter. Stopping behind the tree, he thinks he'll worry about his faulty spider since later. Right now, he's got to get the tracer on Craven without the man knowing. But wait, what's this? Are there two Cravens or... While Spidey's hunting Kraven, a second Craven is hunting Spidey. What? I know! Hiding behind a tree himself, the second Craven thinks this plan was so simple and pats himself on the back for being the greatest hunter of all time. We get a great panel of craven stalking from behind the tree in the final panel, little to the earth thinking, and now the quarry has made his last fatal mistake. The stage is set. The moment has arrived. It is time for the attack. Now the hunter takes over the hunt. The first craven stops at a lamppost in the first panel of page 15 probably to figure out what street he's on. Fun fact, the lamppost in Central Park will always tell you what street you're on. Here's a quote from Seeing Central Park by Sarah Cedar Miller, the official photographer and historian for the Central Park Conservancy since 1984. Finding your way inside Central Park. Almost every lamppost in Central Park has an embossed label that displays a four digit number. The first two numbers indicate the closest cross street in Manhattan and the second two numbers are oriented to either the east or west side of the park. Odd numbers are closer to the west side and even numbers are closer to the east side. For example, lamppost number 7314 indicates that the closest cross street to you is 73rd street, and the 14 indicates that you are standing near the east side of the park. The labels on lampposts located from 100th to 110th streets still have four digits, but they drop the first digit, number 1, thus lamppost 0107 is nearest 101st street, 01, and the 07 indicates that you are closer to the west side. So there are two types of lampposts in Central Park now. There are the original iron lampposts and the labels on the lampposts are either black or silver. They're small little rectangles, they're either black or silver. The newer lampposts, they're green and the newer lampposts just have the numbers painted on the side. You can see them, they're gigantic. Whereas on the iron lampposts, the tag is much smaller and you literally have to walk up to the lamppost. It tends to boggles people's minds when I point it out to them and you'd be surprised how often people get turned around. It's my favorite place on earth, as I said, and in the summer, you're sure to find me most days rambling through the rambles. Well, you may not find me because I can ramble through those rambles. Shout out to Vanilla Bean who gave me this book as a Christmas present a couple years ago because of my love of the park. Back to. So Spidey's tracking Craven 1, and he thinks the man is moving like he knows he's being followed. Spidey's spider sense goes off again in the next panel, but having Craven in his sights, he doesn't know why it's buzzing so hard. In the next panel, the Craven tailing Spidey springs his trap. He grabs a rope tied to a nearby tree and pulls it back and the next panel we see his master plan as Spidey in a full-on dive to avoid it is snagged by the net from the cover. Spidey struggles against the thick black trapper's net wildly for a moment before he studies himself. He thinks he needs to calm down. Stop panicking and think. Think, Spidey! And so, the brilliant brain of the Ace Science student begins to work at lightning-like speed. The same brain which Flash Thompson has mocked so many times the magnificently trained brain which quickly comes up with the answer in the nick of time. And in a pink negative space, we see a chain link popping, as Spidey thinks. I've got one chance. They say a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. In a net of this type, with so many joinings, there must be at least one weak link. Now, all I have to do... He continues the thought into the next panel, just his fist and the net in the sky blue negative space. I must exert all the pressure I can against each section until... Ah, I found it. One small section which rifles back slightly under the tension, creating an opening. In the final panel, Spidey, curled up into a ball, rolls free of the net, his thoughts coming to an end. Now, by exerting maximum pressure at that very spot, I can make the opening large enough for me to roll out of. Beneath these last two panels, we get a caption box. Note: The sequence you have just witnessed took place in the entirety within the incredibly short space of three and one half seconds due to Spider-Man's combined powers of quick thinking and rapid action. Three and one half seconds. Note the power of a well-trained mind. But just as Spider-Man makes a dash for freedom, the beating of a jungle drum distracts him, confuses him for a split second, making him uncertain which way to run. And Spidey rolls out of his ball and onto page 16, his focus on the Craven playing a beat barehanded on a tamatama drum. The distraction worked and the real Kraven, exiting the shadows, leaps towards Spidey cuffing the webhead's right leg and wrist with gray metallic devices that look like futuristic shackles. And we got action. Craven shouts that he's finally caught the Spider-Man as Spidey pulls away from him screaming, don't kid yourself mister. Those metal charm bracelets won't be able to hold Spider-Man. He flips onto a tree in the next panel, one handed, best ever, as Craven swings and misses. He tells Spidey he's wrong, that his braces can hold even a hunger mad tiger. I checked. There are no stats on Hungry Mad Tigers, probably because everyone who got close except Craven wound up on the menu. Spidey quips from atop the tree branch, screaming down at Craven that he hates seeing a man making a fool of himself. But in a moment, he realizes Craven may be right as his right arm and leg begin pulling themselves towards each other. This is a gorgeous panel. Spidey, his left hand pulling against his right wrist, fights to keep his right arm and leg from connecting because he know it'll be difficult to get them apart. So balancing on his left leg, On the thin tree branch, he thinks, say, these are more than just iron manacles. They have some sort of magnetic attraction. They're trying to pull my wrist and ankle together. They're getting stronger all the time. And they have a small built-in bell that jingles when I move. Oh, Craven doesn't miss a trick. The world's greatest hunter, indeed. Spidey's gonna be slowed down and his noise is gonna be sped up and loud, making him easy for Craven to track. And Craven's wasting no time. Net in hand in the next panel, he tells Spidey his cuffs are escape proof. They get stronger every minute, and that the only way for Spidey to free himself is to get the key. The key? Craven's wearing it around his neck. They never make it easy. Before he hurls his net at Spidey in the next panel, Spidey leaps from the tree branch <laughs> in the next panel, avoiding the net, thinking he's got to get the cuffs off before his strength is drained completely. 17 opens to Spidey sprinting through the park on one leg, two iron lamps stage left, the city looming large in the background, as Craven races behind him, still gripping his trapper's net, screaming, Spidey can't hide because of the jangle of the bell he's built into the cuffs. But Spidey's not trying to hide, he's trying to get free. He thinks, Can't separate my arm and leg, can't fight Craven with one arm, there must be a way out. Craven climbs a bluff and, overlooking Spider Man, tosses his net again, telling our hero to keep struggling because it will make his victory greater. Spidey, his right ankle and wrist now locked together, still manages to dodge the rope, his Spidey sense and agility keeping him a step ahead of the world's greatest cat's paw. But he wonders how long his strength will hold out under these conditions. In the next panel, Spidey leaps the length of a city block and two hops huh. on one huh. foot, racing towards a lamppost. He thinks, these master wires are what I want. If I tear them a certain way, the park will be plunged into darkness before shutting down the entire lighting grid of the park. Central Park has over 1,600 lampposts spanning 843 acres. Spidey shut down all the lighting in the literal heart of Manhattan. Hiding behind a bush in the next panel with Craven lurking in the background, Spidey, with his left hand, forces his right limbs apart by pushing down on his knee thinking that now in the darkness, he has the advantage thanks to his spider sense before dodging another toss of the net and breaking out into the open once more, wondering how he's going to silence the bells. In a goldenrod negative space, he figures it out. He thinks, wait, I've got it. What a nut I am. That's, if I can't tear them off, I can at least not. shut them up. All I need to do is spill my liquid wet fluid over them. And webs his wrist and leg, smothering the sound of the bell in the final panel. Spidey, crouches low and surrounded by darkness, thinks his plan worked before his Spidey sense erupts again. And he realizes someone's hiding in the hedges. That Spidey sense is working overtime tonight. Flash must still be on the Golden Liability's brain because he leaps into the hedges to open page 18, screaming. Didn't expect the worm to turn, eh? Okay, Craven, this is the show. Yeah, I know I love that. He grabs Craven in the next panel, but is shocked to find that it isn't the Hunter at all, but the Chameleon, who at some point switched out of his Craven gear and back into his comfortable lounge attire, but kept the mask on? Strange way to stick to a gimmick, no? I don't know. Spidey realizes that this was the game the whole time, but Chameleon is unfazed. Despite the look of shock on his face, he says Spidey hasn't won yet and that nothing can escape Craven alive once he's singled it out for a hunt. Craven, alone on one knee in the next panel, has no idea Spidey's muffled the sound of his cuffs and thinks Spidey has just stopped moving, making his job even easier. All he has to do is keep searching and he'll find the webhead eventually. But no, the sign of the spider lights up the darkness at Craven's feet in the next panel as Spider Man screams If you're looking for me, pal. I'm right behind you. In the next panel, Spidey throws Craven's face on the ground at the center of his searchlight, asking if Craven recognizes it. He does. He thinks he got the comedian and breaks into a sprint towards the woods behind him, knowing he needs a moment to regroup. And the chase is on. In the final panel, he disappears into the brush, thinking he still can't be beaten. Scaling the tree to open page 19, Craven hasn't lost any of his confidence. Spidey doesn't know that he's as at home in the dark as any creature. But so is Spidey. Proofing his light shines onto Craven up in the tree, who wonders how Spider-Man keeps finding him. He hops from the tree and into the brush in the next panel, and Crouching Low says, It was just a lucky break, but I'll lose him for good now as I dash at breakneck speed through the shrubbery in the shadows. Spidey's light washes over him again, and now Spidey's in control, and all the way in his bag. He screams, Nice try, Craven! You make a real dandy butterfly collector. As Craven thinks, This is impossible. We get a close-up on the hunter in the next panel, a great shot that captures his lion's head vest, the eyes of the lion staring straight ahead confidently. Craven's eyes don't match them for the first time all issue. He's staring stage right, sweat beads beginning to form on his forehead as he thinks he's been a fool, that he didn't take into account Spidey's spider Instinct. And that's true, but I blame the chameleon, if you recall. In ASM number one, that's JJ's beef here on Me and My Friend Pete. Chameleon knew all about Spidey's spider instinct, as Craven calls it, from the start, and went so far as to use it to lure Spider-Man into a tricky situation. Chameleon gave this man a full dossier on the webhead with no notes at all on his spider sense. Chameleon seems to be constantly making great plans on paper, but mucks them all up in practice, forgetting the devils in the details. Chameleon is not a fighter. Anytime the plan has to do with any sort of combat, he always messes it up. But Craven is still a brave man. He thinks he's going to outmaneuver the webhead and leaping a tall rock jutting from the ground, thinks he's still got the speed of a cheetah, cunning of a fox, and ferocity of a tiger. So the victory must be his. Love the switch up in language. Before it was going to be, it was factual. Now it must be, meaning he's gotta make it happen. It's not guaranteed anymore. Hiding in shadow behind the rock, his head thrown back, he thinks it's time for the oldest jungle trick in the book. I'll be like part of the rock, playing dead until Craven knows Spidey's coming, but he's in the action, not above it all like us, so he doesn't see that Spidey's spider sense is ablaze. He leaps out at the wet pet, screaming that this is the moment to strike, throwing a left straight punch towards the golden liability in a golden rod negative space. That's too much gold, baby. You don't got a chance. Spidey dodges easy, screaming, oh, no, you don't. He flips into a handstand to open page 20 as Craven lunges at him, screaming for him to stay still so his nerve punch can finish Spidey off, but he misses completely as Spidey, his right arm hooked at his side, his right leg still out of commission, screams. I hate to be a party poop, but this time I'm calling the signals. Spidey's calling an audible like he's 18 out of Indy. Omaha, Omaha. And pushing off of his left arm, still in the air, clubs Craven on the shoulder with the same left arm screaming. How does it feel to be on the receiving end for a change, oh great white hunter? Translation, suck it Tarzan. Craven screams that no one can mock him and live, and grabbing his net once more, launches it at Spidey again, who dodges easily, leaping back onto the rock Craven was hiding behind. Huh. Craven says nobody can be that fast, that it isn't human, and Spidey says maybe not, but it's very definitely Spider. Craven, knowing he's lost, tries to disappear into the nearby foliage of the next panel, as Spidey, still taunting him, screams, where are you going? The jail is in the other direction. Craven bursts out of the foliage and into the next panel looking over his shoulder in a dead sprint now, screaming that he won't be caught by Spider-Man. But Craven should really watch where he's going because in the next panel, he runs smack dab into a giant spider's web stretched between two trees and gets stuck in place as Spidey says what we're all thinking. And so, the hunter becomes the hunted, ain't Craven. In the final panel, his right wrist still struggling against the magnetism of the cuff on his arm, Spidey continues his taunt to a Craven in silhouette and like all those who flee in blind panic and unreasoning fear and cowardice the hunter at last is caught. the art the art the art people from pages 15 to 20 in this issue is just absolutely stellar y'all know what dicko was doing spidey grabs a key from craven's neck between pages and after freeing himself from the cuff on his wrist bends down to remove the cuff on his ankle telling Craven that his shaking has stopped and strenuous exercise must have been the cure. And I'd imagine so. The greatest hero on Earth, racing through the greatest park on Earth, battling the world's greatest hunter on Earth with one arm and leg. Spidey sweated out the boar tusk toxin easily. Emulating Betty Brann in the next panel, he puts his right hand to his chin and continues to taunt Craven. He won a battle he didn't start. It's his right. Craven may be the cat's paw, but Spidey is the cat's meow. He says, Hmm, now what do I do with you? You're too bad-tempered to keep as a pet, and much too old to adopt. I guess I'll just leave you here until the police find you, if you promise not to try to hunt the first little bunny rabbit or squirrel that comes by. Craven, struggling against the giant web, says Spidey can't leave him here, but Spidey asks him if he wants to bet on that. Spidey says he can hear the police coming to investigate why the park lights all went out, and they're going to find Craven and conduct an interview. Reaching the entrance to the park, Spidey pulls his camera from his belt and, spotting the chameleon being led away by the police, snaps photos for JJ, thinking the man doesn't deserve them. Chameleon, his hands cuffed in front of him, turns rat right away. Haven't done anything. Craven is the one you want. He's been trying to hunt human beings. And one of the police officers holding his shoulder replies, don't worry. We'll pick Craven up, too, so you don't get lonely. Later, back at the Daily Bugle building. Jameson, cigar in mouth, is impressed with the photos Pete's took. He says nobody even knew Chameleon was back in the States and that Pete deserves a huge bonus for this. He adds, "Miss Brent, open a safe and get Parker one of my own personal bars of milk chocolate. First of all, the man keeps chocolate in his safe. Second of all, he's going to give this kid chocolate for his services rendered. Miserable! Pete all smiles replies, no wonder people always take advantage of you, JJ. You're on heart. As Betty, looking on in a pink turtleneck, a sheet of paper covering her mouth, thinks it's wonderful to see Pete happy again. She approaches Peter to apologize in the final panel, saying, Peter, I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you before. I had no right to be nasty to you just because another girl likes you. I'm not doing anything tonight. But now, Pete's hand is raising towards his chin, as he thinks he promised Aunt May he was going to meet the Watson girl tonight, and he knows he mustn't tell Betty. He just mustn't. He tells Betty he can't make it, but he'll talk to her soon, as JJ, busy man, makes a phone call in the background. Betty, her head lowered in the first panel of the final page, says she understands that a girl can always trust her first impressions. So she thinks she was right about Pete, and she's not wrong, and Pete feels low. He thinks, just my luck. She thinks I'm cold-shouldering her because I have a date with Liz. Poor Betty. If only I could explain. I say he could be honest here, but that just makes Betty salty at Aunt May for setting up the date. Betty visited the woman in the hospital while she was sick and sat outside with Pete in the waiting room while the doctors operated. And May is out here trying to hook Pete up with a whole different girl. It's better for him to stay silent, I think. But he doesn't like it. We get a great panel of Pete, his head down, his hands in his pockets, kicking a stone down the street of his Forest Hills neighborhood as he monologues to himself, lamenting that he's always in the middle, and because he can't say no to May, he's forced to hurt the girl he cares for before shouting, FOOI! He, he enters his house in the next panel to find May sitting down holding a pincushion. You already know Pete is disrespectful in his thoughts. And he immediately takes a shot at the Watson girl. And that Watson girl is probably a refugee from a horror movie. If only I didn't have to see her tonight. May tells Peter dear that she has some bad news, and Pete says, "Of course you do. There's apparently no other kind." May stands in the next panel and, with a solemn look on her face, says, "Mrs. Watson's niece has a headache and can't make it tonight." She adds that she hopes Pete isn't too disappointed, but Pete's already at the phone dialing Betty's number. His back to May, she can't see the giant Kool-Aid grin on his face as he says. He'll be big about it, meaning he's going to deal with it, right? I'm going to deal with it. Don't worry, may. But Betty Brant plays second fiddle to no one. And Pete, phone pressed against his ear, has a brief one-sided conversation. Hello? Betty, this is Pete. You know it's Pete. Aw, oh, Betty, don't be that way. Wait, don't hang up. Betty! But Pete shakes it off and figures if Betty's going to act this way, he will call Liz Allen. But 60 seconds later... Peter's left quite literally holding the phone in the next panel as he sits slouched in an armchair, his legs out in front of him. He says Liz sure has a big crush on him. He can tell by the way she went out dancing with the Brandex kid Flash Thompson before wondering aloud who's sticking pins into a Peter Parker doll. Remember, Liz Allen doesn't belong to anyone. Meanwhile, the chameleon and Craven the Hunter are boarding a ship to South America. They're being deported as a police officer says they've got off easy. But if you think about it, chameleons should not be going free. He tried to steal state secrets and sell them to the Soviet bloc. Kraven didn't do anything against the law, so he can go, technically. But Chameleon should be locked up. He tried to sell state secrets. As far as Craven goes, well, he hunted a human being. But, without Spidey testifying, even that murder attempt is irrelevant. Chameleon and Ali climb the ramp. He asks if Kraven's going to let them do this to them. And Kraven says, of course, that he's going back into the jungle to train some more. And when he's more powerful than ever... He finishes in a final panel as their ship heads toward the horizon, saying they'll return, and when they do, they'll continue to hunt until Spider-Man's destroyed. As none other than the golden liability himself watches from a roof near the pier with a hand on his hip, thinking, Maybe a trip here to the docks will help me forget about Betty for a while. Gee, I'd like to be on that ship right now. It looks so quiet, so peaceful, but I'm just not that lucky. You'd be even more unlucky if you got onto that ship, Pete. Believe me. And we're out. Craven is a great villain, not because of his power set, but because he's meticulous and confident. He and Chameleon both are going to become major thorns in Spidey's side. I'm still stuck on how Chameleon jumped out of that second story window to open the issue. It was great. And Pete caught in the love triangle with the Brandex kid forcing his way into it, refusing to realize he isn't welcome is great as well. I'm curious to see where it goes. Pete's personal life is always my favorite part of his story and the more chaotic it gets, the more interesting to read. Another beautiful issue from art to script to letters. What more can you ask for? That's the main episode this week. And that's true. That's the main episode. But there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com HSPP, we really, really need you. Patrons get a bonus show every week where I run through comic books from all over the multiverse of comics, past and present, from Marvel to DC to all points in between. This week, we have Young Justice Number 1, a tale that unites DC's next generation of superpowered heroes as Robin, Superboy, and Impulse get together for, is this right, is a sleepover? No, no, no that's what, yeah, that's what they do. A sleepover. Yeah, yeah, a sleepover. Don't read too much into it, it's comic Gotcha. As Robin, Superboy, and Impulse get together for The Sleepover. If we've got comics, we've got history, and I'll be your guide through it all. Join me. Head over to patreon.com HSPP and sign up to The Keykeeper or High Council tiers now. To learn the story of dc's future world leading heroes if you sign up to the keykeeper or high council tier before we reach episode 25 you will receive a special hspp lapel pin you know fashion is important here on me and my friend Pete, and it does not change in the real world so when you gotta get fancy we're gonna have a pin for you why not thank you so much for listening and as always a special thanks to the home team the right minders the big three the keepers and the high council. This podcast is completely listener supported and your support keeps this crazy train on the tracks. I'm truly grateful you keep coming back and more grateful you allow me to be the conductor. Please like, please comment, please share, please take care, and please think of the world and be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, you know the rest, you know? Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.